Governor Incompetent Inslee signs a sanctuary state law. For, for the unborn babies, right? No. Oh. Unfortunate. Hey, Dan Crenshaw on Universal Healthcare. You know, you know Dan? Dan the man. What's got, got there? And huh? we got Mark Charles coming on. That's yeah. a good interview coming up. It's a long one. Yeah, oh, two good. segments coming up. Hey, guys. Buckle up. What else did I have? Oh, yeah. First of all, welcome to Cross Politic on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Ooh. Pastor Toby, Chuck Knox, Waterboy. Good to be with you guys. You got some? You, got, I was, you get a cookie. You I was get a in cookie. Boise this Everybody last week. Oh. <laughs> I was in Boise this last week, and, and I, 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 some club members down there took me out to dinner. It's got marshmallow they, in the middle. They had a nice bedroom all made for me, and I got to stay at their house. Wait, they fed and you? And then Mama Wilson... Gave oh. us each oh. a box of homemade cookies. Thank Mama you. Wilson, may your tribe Mama increase. Wilson. Mama Wilson. That's right. God bless and, you. And sweet kids, Eli and Grace. Uh, man, we got people great. sending us no, tobacco no. and and cookies. Scotch and whiskey. And, and, and little glasses. Baseball bats. Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness. Y'all, these are horrible. Give them. <laughs> no. Yeah, give them back. Give them back. <laughs> these are horrible. I've never seen a cookie with a marshmallow I know. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just I'm trying to figure out how she did this. Hey. Uh, we just got to thank all the club members oh my for signing up this last month. We just had a bunch sign up in oh. the last couple of days. Where did she get the man from for this cookies? And mm. as we do what we do, mm. we really appreciate your support. We appreciate mm. more club members signing up. This is this is new Christian media. So mm. sign up, join the club. We got I got man. We got Jason Elmore, mm-hmm. an executive uh, lead execution. Oh, that's cool. co- dropping soon. Yeah, we got sweet. the trailer. Uh, if you've seen the trailer, of course, Pastor Toby and Proverbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary Demar and God and Government and Eschatology coming yeah, out. So all that's in our club portal, portal. And we're also, Lord willing, we're working on an iPhone app. I know a lot of people have been kind of complaining about our 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 um uh, uh podcast stream, and so we're working uh, on an iPhone app. Yeah, <laughs> we're working on an app. We're working on an app. So, anyways, all right. So Jay Inslee, uh, incompetent Inslee. So we're talking Hunger Games 2020. It is time to walk away from the politics of the past and towards something totally different. People are lining up for food. That's a good thing. I'm a hugger, I'm a kisser, and I'm a little bit of a sniffer. Raising the minimum wage does not hurt business, it grows business. So f***ing proud of you guys. I am Spartacus. (laughs) (laughs) Hunger Games 2020. Hashtag it. You know, we got hey, Pico bro. Pete. Hey, bro. We got Corey like Spartacus too. Booker. Yeah. We got Sleepy Joe Biden. We got Incompetent Inslee. Breadline. Did you say Breadline, Breadline Bernie? Breadline Bernie. Breadline oh. Bernie. Oh, man. Oh, man. So, so who are we talking about now? So Incompetent Inslee, he's the governor to the west of us in the state mm. of Washington. Oh. I'm sorry. I can't hear you right now. I'm and he signed. Mm-hmm, he signed. I'm mm. trying to start a show here, fellas. Mm. Mm. And he signed a uh, sanctuary bill. For the state of Washington. Washington is the latest West Coast state to pass sanctuary protections. Governor Jay Inslee is running for president, signing a bill prohibiting police from working with immigration and customs enforcement. It also bars police from asking about a person's immigration status unless it pertains to a criminal investigation. The Democratic presidential candidate saying, quote, we will not be complicit in the Trump administration's depraved efforts to break up hardworking immigrant and refugee families. Both California and Oregon also have similar laws. The entire West Coast now. Yeah, so under Obama, <laughs> under Obama, more immigrants came into the U.S. and no one's no one was fighting um, Obama. Um, oh no, excuse me. Obama sent more immigrants away. Right. Um, not <laughs> the other way. He deported more immigrants. My bad. Um, but no one was whining about that. You got and now all over your. I know. That's, I, you got that's okay. It's blessing it. 
And, but, it's just blessing. Uh, now he, he was depraved. He said depraved. Yeah. By what standard? He was like he was like all Calvinistic up in there. He's like, <laughs> we will not be depraved. Human depravity. You know, this is what's interesting about this, and uh, it's interesting to me that okay, so right now you have Christians who are trying to create sanctuary cities for the unborn, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So they're passing the heartbeat bills and other bills, like it or not, they're going the right way. Okay. Yeah. Which is when you look at it, the federal government. They are. They did an unjust thing. They made an unjust law. Uh, uh, actually, not even a law. Unjust it opinion. Was just, uh, unjust yeah. opinion that people took as a law. So mm -hmm. it's not even a valid law. So the states have the right to do this. They are functioning within their right. No. I'm talking. They're functioning within their right to fun to do what no. they're doing with their states mm -hmm. and to pass these laws for their states. A sanctuary city. It's not actually. It's illegal according to the Constitution to even be able to do this. Right. And so they're functioning illegally. In, so the federal government would have every right to go in there and say, you guys, come on. Right. So, right. So, so there's not the same thing at all. Right. But, you know, it's not the same thing at all. The Supreme Court. <laughs> he's trying to get through the cookie. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't talk right now. We've got yummy marshmallow cookie in Real my good. mouth. Um, the, the Supreme Court has no right to legislate. Right. The, the Obergefell decision, the Roe versus Wade decision, a bunch of other decisions. Um, where they ruled wrongly, unjust, unjust, yep. immoral. Yep. Um, it, it's it's the the way that the Constitution is set up. Only the Congress can make laws. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, states, when Roe versus Wade happened, should have just said, "Well, that's that's just that's cute." Um, isn't there like a like a, there's a like that's just your opinion, man, or something like that? That's just, you know, there's a movie. I think there's some like there's some guy say that. Right. You remember that one? I've seen a meme of it. Before. I got a bunch of stuff. That's just like your opinion, man. That's what that's what the Christians should have said. Yeah, that's just that's that's nice. I need to find that stinger. Um, it's just your opinion. That's man. just like your opinion, man. Yeah. Um, but that's not it's not law. That's yeah. Right. But meanwhile, you're right. Constitution actually has something to say. They're harboring about, criminals about immigration. Yeah. And about um the way that um the um people are to be na naturalized. Right. So so you're saying and, legally the governor of Idaho could sign a sanctuary bill for the unborn, right. but. Which Ill, is illegal sanctuary which, bill would be illegal immigrant sanctuary bill. Right, which is not con anti-constitutional at all. Right, right exactly. Um, there's, there's no constitutional right to abortion. That's right. Right. It's absolutely, it's not in there. Yeah. Do the word search. Find it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not there. And, well, and it's interesting that all these states, LA City, um, other states have done this, where you can't travel to Alabama now on official governmental business. Right. So uh, L.A. City just this last week said, you know, no more traveling. You can't use government dollars. You can't go to Alabama for official government, uh, government travel. And then you got right. And then you got all these um, uh, movie companies pulling out of L.A. All these show uh, uh, Ala uh, uh, Alabama. No, that's Georgia. 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 Excuse me, because Atlanta's got a big. It's a big, big movie. movie yeah, and all these movie companies are pulling out. And I'm like, that's a good thing. Way to go, Atlanta. Way right. to clean your I, city of all this right. sin. And meanwhile, <laughs> Christians need to be flooding in. Yeah, that's right. Go head in. Yep. Um, go to Chick Fil A. Go go, go, to, slice and go to slice and biscuit. <laughs> go go there uh -huh. and support them. Yep. Um, but this is how you fight. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing that that we need to understand, Christians. Is this is how you fight now? And and so all of this is good, actually. I mean, they're wrong, but this sure. is good. We want them to overexert. They're functioning illegally. But mm -hmm. but yeah. this is essentially the same thing. Uh, this is at a state level, um, like what Sweet Cakes mm -hmm. did. Oh. Uh, yeah. When they when they decided that was not in to, Oregon. That yeah, was in Oregon. Yeah, right? When they decided yep. Portland, we, I think. Yeah. yeah when yeah. they said we will, we don't want to make. Um, we interviewed the, them for the, um, free for, speech apocalypse. Yeah. So they're on free speech apocalypse. Our yeah. friend Darren Doan did. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, check it out. 
Um, but when a baker, like the Colorado baker, for example, mm-hmm. Jack, um, Jack says, "I'm like, you know, I can't make a, ba- a cake that's celebrating a sodomite wedding." Yeah. Um, they're doing the exact same thing at a state level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And somebody needs to run that play. And the governor of Idaho needs to run that play. Sanctuary right. state right. for the unborn. Let's right. just see how you we know? get out of this regulatory code first. I mm-hmm. want to see how we kind of get That'll out of that. Great. That'll <laughs> like, be great. What are they going to put in? What are they going to keep out? Uh, I, I think the other thing that we need to be paying attention to, there's been a lot of, you know, the bar, the attorney bar stuff Did going on. Did you say Hunger Trump. Games 2020? It is time to walk away from the politics of the past and towards something totally different. People are lining up for food. That's a good thing. I'm a hugger, I'm a kisser, and I'm a little bit of a sniffer. Raising the minimum wage does not hurt business, it grows business. So f***ing proud of you guys. I am Spartacus. Oh man! That Do was... I even go to this last news article? Uh, okay. No, no. Yeah, what what did Dan Crenshaw say? So Dan Dan Crenshaw talking about healthcare this week. I think had a great summary of what uh, single payer healthcare would do and what um, free health the market healthcare would look like. A single payer system is worse for people with pre existing conditions. A private system is better for people with pre existing conditions than a public system. Let's talk about what we've learned here. Let's summarize it. A single-payer system has to set prices, and if set at current Medicare rates, which all plans call for, then this drastically cuts the money going to doctors and hospitals. They will have to cut resources. They will hire less. They will buy less equipment. It is simple economics. Because there are less doctors, wait times will increase. With this newfound world of less doctors and more patients, the government will have to carefully screen or triage who gets care and who doesn't, and what kind of care they get all based on bureaucratic cost-benefit analysis. Innovators will be less likely to invest in a system where the payoff is significantly less because they can't be sure whether the government bureaucrat will even allow doctors to use that new medical device, medication, or new procedure. Counterintuitively, this system ends up hurting patients with the most unique conditions, also known as patients with pre-existing conditions, because their care requires flexibility and innovation, both of which are drastically reduced in a single-payer system. Someone mm. want to talk? I got a, I got a cookie in my mouth. Yeah, I was just, I'm, here, I'll take the drink. Here. Mama Wilson. Mm. Here's the point. So whenever the government uh, uh, takes over something that the private market should be doing, um, supplies go down, money prices just go up, prices go up, yeah. access goes down, and so it actually ends up hurting the the very people that they're saying that it's going to help fix. Yeah, the people with pre-existing mm-hmm. conditions and the people mm-hmm. who are poorest, the weakest yep. people are the ones that are affected. You just threw that. We have Socialized interns. medicine is why certain countries will maybe be good at one thing in their healthcare system, right. you know, uh, it's, it's, cancer, cause you have, cancer. Because you have the, you know. it's a top down. And so they end up funding that's, one thing really well. It's the only thing they can do. Yeah. And then they can't help all the other this problems. Is, this is why we, um, I'm a big fan of this uh, direct primary care yeah. mm-hmm. uh, movement that's happening. Mm. Um, we got Dr. Rod Story. Who Here I, in we, town. Did we have him on the show? We had him on the show yeah. to talk about the transgendered uh, ba- uh, surgery hospital stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go check that on the archives. Yeah. But anyways, I mean, he, you know, people like that who are doing direct primary care, um, that's the, what actually is most helpful for the poor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where where you have a free market where they can, um, they, they're the ones that I can actually adjust to these different conditions. Mm-hmm. They're the one they can actually make adjustments because that's the people who are most vulnerable are the people who who have a, a strange condition, yeah. who are in a tight spot, mm-hmm. who are in a difficult situation because yeah. you can't account for all of the um the the differences. I mean, if you're in a an office in Washington DC or even an office in Boise, 
You can't account for all the needs that of are going to happen. Not. But a direct primary care is somebody you can look at and say, I can help you or I can't, but maybe somebody else can come along and be another direct primary care. Um, but we, that's why we need to get the government out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The government never helps. All right, guys, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. You ready? We got, a, we got a great interview coming up for you guys. Uh, buckle up. Mark. I just gleeked. Mm. Those are good cookies. <laughs> Mark Charles, speaker, writer, consultant from the Navajo Reservation. He, <laughs> thank you. I need to wipe my mouth and my mic. Um, hey, he's up next. We're really excited. Mark Charles. Join the club. <laughs> what? <laughs> Join the club. All right. More cross politics coming up next. Classical Conversation supports homeschooling parents by cultivating the love of learning through a Christian worldview in fellowship with other families. We provide a classical, Christ-centered curriculum, local, like-minded communities across the United States and in several countries, and we train parents who are striving to be great classical educators in the home. For more information and to get connected, please visit our website at classicalconversations.com. Classical. Christian. Get connected. Get community. Man, we'll talk about them later. All right. Hey, welcome back to Cross Politic on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. With us on the line right now is Mark Charles. Mark Charles is a speaker, writer, and consultant who recently moved to Washington, D.C. from the Navajo Reservation. He's the son of an American woman of Dutch heritage and a Navajo man. Mark seeks to understand the complexities of American history regarding race, culture, and faith. In order to help forge a faith, a path of healing and reconciliation for the nation, he partners with numerous organizations to assist them in respectfully approaching, including, and working with Native communities. Mark serves as a columnist for Native News Online and is the author of the popular blog, Reflections from the Hogan. Mark also serves <laughs> <the Hulk. laughs> also serves on the board of the Christian Community Development Association, CCDA, and consults with the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. Mm. He's a founding partner of a national conference for Native students called Would Jesus Eat Fry Bread? Yes, mm-hmm. he would. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Mark has proposed the development of a truth commission to shed light into the injustices perpetrated against Native Americans. Mark, it's so great to have you on Cross Politic. Thank you. It's very uh, an honor to be here. I'd like to start just by introducing myself uh, formally. So, Yate, Mark Charles Yenishia, Sin Bake Dene and Nishle, to Tohiglini Bashish Chain, Sin Bake Dene Bashiche, to Tohichitni Bashinella. In the Navajo culture, when we introduce ourselves, we always give our four clans. We're a matrilineal people, and our identities come from our mother's mother. Now, my mother's mother happens to be American of Dutch heritage, and so I say, Translated, that means I'm from the wooden shoe people. My father's mother, my second clan, is Toa which is the waters that flow together. My third clan, my mother's father, is also And then my fourth clan, my father's father, is Toa and that's the Bitterwater clan. It's one of the original clans of our Navajo people. Yeah. So thank you. It's great to be on the show with you. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Appreciate that. Chuck, I don't th- Chuck Knox charismatic moment. Thought you were speaking in tongues. I was first. about to say yeah, I'm yeah. a translate. I'm good at this. You <laughs> uh, translated for him, uh, Mark. Uh, we do appreciate you coming on the show. You spent a lot of time. We've we've watched a few of your interviews and uh, a few of your talks, and spent a lot of time talking about the doctrine of discovery. What you call the doctrine of discovery, 
Um, would yes. you say that the doctrine of discovery is the biggest sin America needs to repent of? Um, no, I would not say it's the biggest sin America needs to repent of. I would say it's a fruit of one of the biggest sins America needs to repent of, and that fruit is the heresy of Christendom, or this belief that there is such a thing as a Christian empire. Mm. Um, so that, you know, if you go back and you look at the teachings of Jesus, when he came into this world 2,000 years ago, he was coming to the Jewish people, the people of Israel, and they had a land covenant with the God of Abraham. Now, their land covenant set up prosperity as kind of a barometer of their relationship with God. So the people of Israel knew they were doing well in their relationship with God if they were prosperous. And when they obeyed God, he blessed them on their land and they, they flourished. When they disobeyed God, he exiled from their land and they, they suffered. So it wasn't uh, the, the absolute measure, but it was a barometer of how they So they knew how their relationship with God going was based on how they were relating to the land. And at the time of Jesus' arrival, his birth, the people of Israel were under the oppression of the Romans. They couldn't travel freely. They couldn't worship freely. They were under the oppression of the Romans. And so they knew that they were out of sorts with God. This is why the sect of the Pharisees rose up. There was a group of people who thought, hey, if, as everyday people, we kept the law of the priest. Maybe God will have mercy on us and right. send his Messiah sooner. Right. And so the, the people were looking. They were expecting a political or an imperial Messiah who was going to come and return them to the greatness of the kingdom of David. Now, Jesus came, and he knew he was coming as the Messiah, but he also knew he wasn't coming in the way that people expected. And so he worked all throughout his ministry to change their expectations. You know, Satan takes him at the, at the very first temptation, takes him up to a high place and shows him the kingdoms of the world, which he assumed was the goal, and said, if you bow down to me, I'll give them to you now. And Jesus walked away. No, that's not the goal. After he said, you know, he's, he's with 4,000 people, actually 4,000 men, probably eight to 12,000, 16,000 men, women, and children. He's taken five loaves and a few fish. And, you know, actually the people are hungry and the disciples are, hey, we should feed them. He says, well, go see what you have. So they find this kid. They shake him down, grab his lunch. And Jesus feeds everybody. And the people are so excited that they come to make him king by force. Right. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the goal. So he walks away. You know, at the end of his life, he's standing before Pilate, and Pilate doesn't want to crucify him. He's looking for an excuse not to crucify him. And he's get, trying to get him to answer some questions, and Jesus um, isn't answering questions. And finally, Pilate gets frustrated and says, hey, don't you know I have the authority to, to kill you or to set you free? And Jesus says, you don't have any authority over me. The only authority you have is what my father gave you. Right. Because my kingdom's not on this earth. If my kingdom were here, my servants, the angels, would come and set me free. So my kingdom is somewhere else. So Jesus was very adamant. In fact, when he was talking to his disciples in Mark 8, the disciples, you know, he asked them, who, who do people think I am? Well, some think you're John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah. Some think you're one of the prophets of the Old Testament. He says, well, who do you think I am? He says, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus starts teaching them that the, the, the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of Man from Daniel 7 is a glorious, powerful figure. Because the Son of Man is going to suffer and die and be persecuted. This so confounded the disciples that Peter rebukes Jesus. 
It says, you don't have to die. Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. You're not on the side of God, but of men. And then he teaches them that not only must the Messiah, the Son of Man, suffer and die, but his followers must be persecuted. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells his disciples, when you are persecuted in my name, you should rejoice. Right. Because that's how they, they taught the, they treated the prophets of old. So Jesus is giving his disciples a new barometer. How will they know they are doing well in their discipleship? How will they know they are following the will of God? How will they know that they are, they are in line with what he's teaching? Not when they prosper, which was under the land covenant. Now they will know they're doing well when they are persecuted. Now, and the disciples uh, reject that barometer. They don't want yeah, that. Right. And so, it's not until Pentecost that they finally get it. So what, and so most of the disciples die a martyr's death because they finally understood the teachings of Jesus, which is the barometer of, a, of, a, of discipleship is one of persecution. So if I can just jump in here, um, what, do you, what do you do with something like Psalm 2 um, where the apostles are really clear that they believe that Psalm 2 is being, has been fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus? And Psalm 2 specifically asks, tells the, 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 the nations, the kings, to kiss the sun, submit to the sun. Um, surely, um, persecution is part of the barometer. I, I, I think that would be true. But, but what happens when you've suffered, like Jesus, and then God raises you from the dead, like Jesus? What happens when the king listens to the preacher and repents? Well, so that's the problem. And this is, and this is why I say the, the heresy of Christendom is the sin, is, is the sin of the nation, or at least the sin of the church. So Constantine in the third century, you know, he's the one who converted Rome, or in the fourth century, sorry, he's the one who converted Rome to Christianity. God bless him. Now, for years, I've blamed Christendom on Constantine. But if you actually read the writings of the Bishop of Caesarea, Eusebius, who is an Arian heresy, who who was the he was a basically her- the mentor of Constantine. He was a heretic. <laughs> he was the mentor of Constantine, and he was the one who propped Constantine up as the God ordained ruler of Rome. See, Con- Eusebius was writing a book, the beginning of the fourth century, called Ecclesiastical History. Right. And he set out to record the history of the church from Christ through the fourth century. And he talks about the martyrs frequently, uh, how the martyrs were basically dying with joy because they were sharing in the suffering of Christ up until you get to the four, his, his account of the fourth century, which is when the great persecution took place. And the great persecution happened in Caesarea and Palestine. And he identifies that he knew a lot of the martyrs himself and saw many of their deaths personally. And once that began happening, once he was touched by the persecution, his mentality and his writings about martyrdom changes, and he, in volume eight and beyond, begins focusing more on the emperors. And in, in book eight of, the, of this volume of 11 books, he actually props up Constantine and compares him to Moses over when he defeated Maxinius at the Battle of Milvane Bridge. And then, if you if you read the the whole book and you get to the last chapter of the last book, so if you're writing a book called Ecclesiastical History, the history of the church, your book is no ending, right? Because the history of the church will conclude 
when the son of man, when the bridegroom of the church returns. Sure. But if you read the last chapter of the last book, he actually does have a conclusion. And his conclusion is the salvation that came to Rome, not through Christ, but through Constantine. Sure. He was, he was See, a heretic. When, well, so, <laughs> when, but, but he was the mentor of Constantine. Yeah. So, but what's wrong and with so, that? I mean, what if, what if Constantine, if Constantine repented and Constantine became a Christian, what's wrong with that? Well, because when Constantine said he converted, he said he saw a vision, correct? Right. By the sign conquer. There is a vision under the sign conquer. Yeah. Okay. And then he said, Jesus came to him. And explain to him the meaning of this vision. Right. Now, Constantine is the emperor of the most powerful empire in the world. And he is being told by Jesus, supposedly, to go off and conquer and defeat his enemies under the symbol of the cross. Correct? Right. Now, there's another Christian father who saw a vision of Christ after his death, and that was Saul. He's on his way to Damascus to persecute the Christians. And Jesus appears to him on the road, and he um, blinds him and sends him stumbling into Damascus, lets him sit there for three days. And then he sends Ananias to, Constant, or to, to Saul. And his message from Ananias is, go and tell Saul how much he must suffer on account of my name. Sure. Now, he's not punishing Saul. Remember, what's the new barometer for being a good disciple? persecution yeah but but what if he's what telling if it, saul he's telling saul now that you are my disciple instead of persecuting the church you will now be persecuted sure but mark so what, Jesus if, would what if not a nation appear, hang on let me but let he me would get not in here. appear let me get to in the here, most mark. powerful emperor of the world and tell him to conquer in the name of the cross when the cross is not about conquering here on earth and setting up a christian empire it's about Submitting yourself to death, even death on a cross. What does what does Jesus mean though? Then when he says he sends his disciples out after the resurrection, says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to yeah. obey everything he commands. You forgot baptizing. Oh, yeah. I'm baptizing so, them. <laughs> so in, in Mark chapter six, okay, Jesus calls his disciples to him, and he he gives them authority. Correct. Yes, sir. Cast out demons, heal the sick, and preach the word. And then what does he tell them? You're going out as sheep among wolves. But he tells them to do something else. Take nothing with you. Right. Lay down your power. Mm -hmm. Go out and every day pray for your daily bread. But in another place he says get a sword. The authority of Christ comes when you lay down your power. Okay, so I'm I'm sorry. I was, Mark. One thing you gotta know about me, man, is that I have a very short attention span, and I was sitting here thinking about Toby's cookies while you were talking. So I, I, you got to do a Cliff Notes version of everything for me, like really short bits. So, <laughs> <laughs> I got I kind of got lost in this. I'm still back at the beginning. So the biggest sin, really, that's kind of happening with America is really the fact of this uh, American Christendom. Christendom. Uh, America's a Christian nation and kind of conquering, right? So yeah, you, you have a problem with that in in the fallout. What's been the fallout of that in America? So the I'm, a cliff, of, I'm a cliff notes guy. The fallout so. of Christian empire. Okay. So in 1630. And in America. Um, John Winthrop yep, is here in the U S he's actually not the U S now he's here in the new world. 
and he's with a group of, of colonists here to plant the Boston colony. He's in the Boston Harbor, and he preaches a sermon called A Model of Christian Charity. Okay? Yeah. Now, the sermon, in the sermon, he, he exhorts, he, he first of all compares the colonists to um, your city on a hill, which is borrowing from the language of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He exhorts them to care for one another, treat one another well. And then end of the sermon, he starts quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now, Deuteronomy 30 is the passage in the Old Testament where the people of Israel are standing at the banks of their promised land, ready to go and take possession of them. And God's reiterating the threats and promises of his land covenant. If you obey me, I'll do these things to you. If you disobey me, I'll do these things to you. Now, end of this passage, it says, but if our hearts shall turn away and we worship other gods, Oh, if our hearts will turn away so that we will not obey and we worship other gods, we will surely perish out of the good land whether we pass over this river to possess it. Deuteronomy 30 says river. In his sermon, John Winthrop changes river to vast sea. Now, why would he do that? You're about to lose me. Well, because he didn't cross the river, he crossed an ocean. Right. Okay. Okay. So he's implying we're on the banks of our promised land. Got you ready to go and take possession of them. Now, you've read Deuteronomy and Joshua, right? How are the people of Israel to take possession of their promised land? Mm -hmm. Well, Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 17 says, in the cities of the nations the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, do not leave anything alive that breathes. Completely destroy them. Mm. So promised lands for one people is literally God-ordained genocide for another. But that's not what they actually did. So if we go into the 18th century, okay, actually the, the, the 1800s, the, seven, the, the 19th century, which is what we call our century of expansion. In 1851, Peter Burnett, who was the first governor of California, in his first State of the State address, this is what he said, that a war of extermination will continue to be waged between the races until the Indian race becomes extinct must be expected. While we cannot anticipate this result, but with painful regret, the inevitable destiny of the race is beyond the power or wisdom of man to avert. Now, he's not saying there's going to be a famine that's going to destroy these people. He's not saying there's disease that's coming. He's saying we can't stop killing them. Because why? We have a manifest destiny. Right. And manifest destiny mandates that you commit genocide against the people in your promised land. Manifest destiny was a wicked thing. Yeah. Two years, two years after signing the Pacific Railway Act, Abraham Lincoln, the Pacific Railway Act completed the, allowed the land to complete the transcontinental railway. Two and a half years after signing that act, after the hanging of the Dakota 38 and the, the Dakota war in Minnesota, the massacre at Sand Creek in Colorado and the long walk in Navajo in, in the Southwest, yeah. Abraham Lincoln has ethnically cleansed all of the tribes from Minnesota, mm-hmm. from Colorado, and from New Mexico. And these just happen to be the three primary routes where the Transcontinental Railway is going to go. <laughs> our greatest president was also one of our most ethnically cleansing and genocidal presidents Actually, in the history would, of our nation. I would agree with you. I don't think Abe Lincoln was one of our greatest pre- I yeah, think he's one of our worst presidents. You don't have yeah, no he, friends with Abe Lincoln yeah, over here. We don't like Abe. <laughs> but here's the deal, Mark. So let's try to bring this down to kind of immediate application of what's going on here in the U.S. If if um, you preach the gospel to Trump and he became a Christian and his cabinet became a Christian and our whole nation became a Christian, 
persecution would stop because everyone's Christian. What do you have? Is that a good thing? And what do you have? Well, see, this is the problem. When you have, when you believe in the, when you believe in the heresy of Christian empire, that it's, it's okay. I I believe Jesus is king. He is king, but he did not come to establish an earthly kingdom. He did. We're praying for his kingdom to come to be, will be done. So we are, he he told us to pray for his kingdom to come. Yes, but he came to plant a church. He came to make disciples. He and his call to his disciples was not to conquer, but to actually suffer and die. Yeah, but, but you aren't answering my question. I said but, if, if but America if they, was successfully discipled, would we have a Christian nation? No, we wouldn't. We would have a very strong and prophetic church, but we would not have a Christian nation because a Christian nation is heresy. But what happens? So, in one of your talks, you re- Trump's a Christian. What does it hold mean? On, hold on, hold on. In one of your talks, you referred to the 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 separation of families at the U.S. border that's been in the news a whole lot in the last couple of years. Um, yeah. And, and but but you're saying we should not make America more Christian. We should not make America Christian. What standard would you use to argue that our immigration services should not separate families? Well, see, this is the challenge, and this is, this is actually the challenge that, if you'll go back even to Augustine, that he was wrestling with after Eusebius and Constantine create this heresy of Christian empire, the theologians of the 4th century, they had to decide, do we collude with this idea, or do we speak prophetically to it? And Augustine, unfortunately, through writing a just war theory, and through his writings in the book on the correction of the Donatists, he chose to to collude with this notion of Christian empire. And so in, in chapter five of correction on the Donatist, Augustine essentially is asking, what is the role of a Christian king in a Christian empire? We've never had this before. This is a new phenomenon. And what's the role? And he concludes the role of the Christian king in the Christian empire is to enforce with suitable rigor, the commands of the, of the, of the church. And then he goes on, he says, it's better that men are led to, to, Christ through sound teachings and through fear of punishment and pain, but we found advantage in first compelling people through fear and pain, so later they might respond to teaching. So he's he's saying that the role but, of the Christian king and the Christian empire is to use fear, punishment, and pain to compel people to worship God. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be that against way. the teachings of hey, Jesus. Hey, Mark. What? Do but, you, but how, this is. Hey, Mark. I, real quick, because we we we've been going for already for a minute. I just really want to understand something. So then, what do you? D- define the role of a king or a, a ruler. What is his role? And how do the you define that? King, so see, we need to separate the difference between a, a king of a secular nation state and the church. Should a Christian sure. run for president? Well, hold on. But so, so how do you define that? What tools are you using to define that? What do you mean? So when you say we need to separate the two, how do you know that? And what's your standard in choosing this, what, how we separate the, the king from the, the Because the Jesus was very clear he didn't come to establish a Christian kingdom. So you're using a Christian standard in order to create a Christian nation? No, we, we don't need, there's no such so, thing as a Christian how, nation. How are God, you going to tell the king, how are you going to tell the king what his role is apart from using the scriptures in order to be able to do no, that? No, you can as a prophet. Right. But so, the goal but is not to make to the Christian. Does the king the need to listen to, to the prophet? The goal is not to legislate the theologies of the church. So how does the, the king know what's wicked? Is not Christian. How does the king well, know the, what's the, wicked if the prophet well, is the not telling? Well, the king has him. to discern this among all of their advisors. And what standard is he using? That 
again, this is a secular entity. What standard do you expect the king to use to rule well as a good king? If the king that you would define as a good king, what standard is he using to make right and wrong and good and bad choices? The king will use, he will go across the board. So for no, but he's an a example Christian. I can give you. you. What, what king, what standard do you want him to use, Mark? Because you can't have it both ways. This is like a snake eating its tail. You can't talk about wickedness and bad and then want them to repent and then say we shouldn't have a Christian king. If a king is going to use the standards of the Bible, he's going to have to be a uh, Christian king to a Christian standard. And that's where I would disagree with you. Well, then I what, what standard that, does a king use, Mark? You haven't answered so the question. We are, we are trying to define the difference between a Christian nation, which... No, I would no, argue I, I, we are not asking that question. Scratch that. We are not what? asking that no, question. No, no, not that's not the what question. What standard does the king use to be a good king and decide what's right, wrong, good, and bad? And the goal, I would say, is not to legislate the theologies of anyone. I didn't ask you that. What's the standard? I think there's a lot of wisdom out there that you can use. Worldly wisdom? Some of it may Christian come from wisdom. the scriptures. Some of it may come from other groups of people some of it may come from other traditions now, see mike that's where Again, you fall apart at it, right there because it should have no, been really easy it should have been really easy for you to make you're making all your assumptions about good bad right and wrong and wickedness from the standard of the scriptures i just sit here Amen. and listen to you for like 20 minutes talk about what was right what was wrong what was based on the scriptures what people missed and then i asked you a simple question brother what standard and now you don't want to use the scriptures as a standard for the king to use all those all kinds of other information out there you want to know why why? You want to know why? Because my people were beaten, raped, killed by people who thought they but, were obeying the Bible. Was it right or wrong? And does the Bible say it was right and wrong? The church has argued for years, and the nation has agreed that it was right. Were they following That's scripture? Not the but what does Jesus say? Were they following scripture, or were they actually denying scripture? Were they being inconsistent well, see, with the scripture? And this is the point I'm trying to make, and, and this, the, where this becomes a challenge to make it is when you accept the notion of a Christian empire. No, no, I'm asking you, was it right with Scripture or was it wrong with Scripture the way your people would treat it? And were they being consistent with Scripture? I don't know how else to say this in a way that you're going to understand Yes or it. no? The, That's easy. No, the goal, is, the goal is not to legislate you can't the Christian help, belief. You can't help but legislate but, some sort of morality. My question to you is, if no. people... It, listen, if people are going to legislate a morality, they have to choose if it's going to be God's morality inconsistent, being consistent with God's standard or another morality which is inconsistent with God's standard. And that's all I've been asking you this whole time. Now, now I, I would say this. So I would say, actually, the gospel was set up to thrive in one of two environments. I think the gospel can thrive in a, as a persecuted entity. The church was prophesied it would be persecuted. And I also think the church can thrive in a pluralistic environment. Where the church cannot thrive is where the church holds the imperial power. So when Jesus was out one day, right, this this rich young ruler comes up to him. You know what, Mark? He says, hey, wait, hold on. Here's the deal. We got to go. Here's the deal. I want to give you one more chance. I want to give you one more chance. What's the standard a king should use? Is it the Bible or is it not the Bible? Is is it God's standard of ruling or is it? Something else. 
I'm not going to answer your question because no. right. of the way it will be twisted. All right. All right. All right, Mark, I'm grateful that you were on the show, brother, but I think you have a major, major problem. If the God standard is not the standard, then everything that was done to your people was okay. And that is wicked, brother. Yeah. And I hope, I think you know that. More cross politics when we come back. Hey, Mark, stay right there. I don't know. I don't know how you get around. Uh, I mean, you, you gotta. I mean, everything that was wickedly done, everything that you list that's been done that's been wrong. The reason it's wrong is because the Bible says it's wrong. That would be easy, Mark. I mean, is, isn't that isn't that true? No, it's not. <laughs> wow. Because wait, wait. Be, listen, listen to me. the 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 challenge we face as a church is when we give up, when we embrace this notion of worldly or imperial power. We agree. I agree with you, brother. We agree with no, you No, you that. don't. So <laughs> the point I was trying to make at the end, when, when Jesus, this rich young ruler comes up to him, right? Yeah. And he says, how do I get to heaven? Right. And Jesus says, well, obey these commands. Right. The law. And the guy's like, cool, I've done that. He says, okay, you've missed something. Go sell everything. Come follow me. Right. And the guy said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he walked away. Now, Jesus let him walk away. Right? Yep. He let the guy believe what he believed. The guy came, asked a question. He told him the truth. The guy processed it and said, no, I don't believe that. And he left. Mm -hmm. Jesus sure. didn't mandate him to obey him. He didn't twist his arm. He didn't. He didn't, um, you know, mock him. He didn't lower the bar. He let the guy walk away. He still had to see him at the synagogue. He still had to run to him in the marketplace. They sure. still lived in a society together. Okay. Jesus was not trying to legislate his beliefs. When he and James and John are the, walking. And the Great Commission, man, the Great Commission, he says, disciple the nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Yes, not to create a Christian empire. It, it's Again, this is the church. He's talking to the church, not to political entities. Yeah, but when President Trump becomes a Christian and all his administration and the whole America becomes a Christian, becomes Christian because we've successfully obeyed God and discipled the U.S. as a nation, what do we have? It's not going to happen. Why not? <laughs> wow. Jesus. That's, a, that's the gospel, man. You don't believe the gospel's powerful. Revel I believe the road's narrow. Revelation says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. I don't deny God has authority over all the kingdoms. What I'm saying is our job is not to establish Christian kingdom. Our job is to be the church. I'd say, well, well there's truth in that. But, yeah. I, but what happens is when the church is a faithful witness, what happens when the okay. king repents? Okay, can, can I ask, let's, let's. I preached a sermon a few years ago called You Don't Want to Live in a Christian Kingdom. <laughs> Terrible. Oh, wow. Terrible. Terrible. I'm serious. <laughs> that's listen, awful. listen. That's awful. Okay, if we're going to legislate our, our morality, correct? Yes. yes. Someone has to. Absolutely. Okay. So the Sermon on the Mount has to be at the center of the life of a Christian. Sure. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Yes. Don't, okay. Don't so murder, now we're not don't just legislating. Adultery. Now we're not just legislating. No, that's not the Sermon on the Mount. Some of the mountains don't even get angry. No, no, no. 
I'll let you go. Keep going, Mark. Keep going. So, do you really want to live in a nation state that legislates your thoughts? So, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. You need to distinguish between sins and What has been the punishment of anger in the Bible? Has there been any punishment for anger in the Bible? Anywhere. Again. Has, has there been a punishment for but, murder? Again, we're, we're taking no, 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 two no, you, separate covenants. <laughs> no, you brought this the up. The Old Testament pre-Christ no, had one... The Old Testament of, covenant of and the New Testament hold, covenant hold, is hold, the hold, same hold covenant, okay, and Galatians okay, 3 makes that clear okay, that on. it's in let the him, same covenant. Let him finish. Okay. What? I was going to let you finish. <laughs> I was trying to get Gabe to stop talking. The the biggest challenge we face is once you have a Christian nation, you now have to legislate your theologies. It's the, and, that's and that actually is what, not the role. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Of the church, Mark. Is You're there, right. Is there it's a not the role of the church? It's not the role of the church, Mark. It's is, the role of the government, Mark. Is there a better law to legislate than Christian law? If you legislate Christian law, you're assuming people have to become Christian. I didn't ask you that. I asked you no. if there's a better law to legislate man. Yeah. What, what's a better law than the Bible? Something, again, the goal is not to legislate. The Bible was not I, written to be legislated. I didn't ask you that. I, I know. I, I'll, okay, I'll bite. What's a better law than the Bible? Something we can come to together that allows us to coexist. There's Man's a higher law? with people who believe There's and a, think differently okay. than us, and that's that's the biggest problem that, right there. I think that, that that's that's your heresy right there. It's, it. it's called humanism. That's right. You that's think exactly you right. think that humans can come up with a better law collaborating than God gave us in His Bible? And and if that's the case, buddy. Your people are really in trouble. You know, I mean, humanism is what gave us Native American genocide. Humanism is that's, what gave us. Um, all the crusades humanism is what gave us all the things you hate man it's it's only god's law and god's word that would actually speak to and protect people's actual rights and do exactly where i think your heart's passion for is to get people right you know humanism broke us man i'm a black brother i can identify with that i get that but that's what that's what people do when they collaborate they come up with wickedness that's why they need to kiss the sun the kings of the earth need to kiss jesus they need to bow before him and and I get that in the name of Christian empire, I know Christians have done wicked things. Amen. But the reason why they've done wicked things is because they read the Bible wrong. It's because they weren't actually submitting to God's word. They were in the name of Jesus going with human wisdom. And that's why it's wrong. Believe it or not, they're a lot closer well, to you than you and, even and know. And this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying because whenever we're going to try to legislate these things, we are going to be working off of some of the best Okay, so whatever whatever the best we can do at the time, the and I have the, not seen that work in two thousand years. The best is in the Bible, though. So the my, best is not in human wisdom. So, so I keep on thinking about this legislation thing. So help me with something. Um, if somebody rapes, uh, if a guy rapes a woman, um, give me give me a standard you of legislation that, that that would work on, on how you think about we should punish it or judge it or, or deal with it. What does that look like, and and what are you pulling from to to show what justice really looks like in the case of rape? What would you pull from? I would pull from both my Christian teaching and I would pull from the teachings of other cultures and traditions about how we 
how we need to treat other people and not dehumanize people. But what what about like the traditions of Islam, for example, that yeah. says that a uh, woman okay. is is not as valuable as a man and is just a little bit above an animal, and so can be treated that okay. way? Are you gonna are you gonna actually respect that tradition? Yeah. How do you know which one's greater than the other? How about Abraham, who pimped out his wife, the Pharaoh? Yeah, but the Bible says who pimped out his daughter. The Bible says to, something about that. But here you see, I love this. You going back to the Bible? Are you? Are you I'm just trying to figure out. No. Uh, what I'm not, trying to get you to understand is both of these, both of these, <laughs> what we hold up in the Old Testament is not what we're trying to legislate today. Can we glean from that? Absolutely. Are we called to legislate that? See, this is where the, when we, when we view the role of the Christians through the lens of the church, instead of through the lens of the, of the government, we get an entirely different way of dealing with it. See, what, what maybe what, I don't know if you know where we're coming from, but we're we're Kyperian, and so um, we we have a high view. Dutch. Of the, we we're, we're with your we're with your yeah. uh, your people. We're with your your wooden shoe people, man. <laughs> um, we got so we have a high view of the church, and I agree with you that the church's job is not to legislate laws. Laws, absolutely. Yeah. But we also have a high view of uh, civil magistrates. And those civil magistrates are to be obedient to Jesus. Romans 13. But the church doesn't, we don't believe in ecclesiocracy. We don't believe the church runs the government. The church is a separate, is a separate sphere. Absolutely. And the family is a separate sphere. Yeah. And all three of these spheres are ordained by God and given real and true authority. And they are to do their jobs in obedience to Jesus. Um, That doesn't mean that the church runs the state. No. But the state is supposed to be obedient to Jesus, not to, human wisdom not to collaborating among whatever you know the traditions are but to obey jesus which means that they need to listen to the teaching of the church they need to listen to preachers and prophets and they need to legislate according to god's law but they need to but there's not a better law there's not a better righteousness a better justice than given to us in the bible there's no better justice and mark this might help out too with that sphere that he set up those spheres family church and state that's also why when we talk about legislation and you talk about something like anger, well, anger would be a sin. It's not something that the state. It's not a crime. Would, it's not a crime that the state would punish, but it'd be something that the church itself would say, "Hey, you guys need to repent of this." Right. Do a call for repentance of the, the state is not going to do that. They can't Again, punish anger, so that's that might help out no, a little but, bit with those spheres see, a little bit. But because we've had this notion of a Christian empire, we have legislated horrible things. Well, I, sure. I, I, hey, it, sure. Wait, but we got but, God's but, standard. But, but by what standard, Mark? If we've legislated horrible things, says who? Right. Says God? Says Jesus? I'm, that shouldn't be hard for you to I'm, say, bro. <laughs> You're, no, stuck. I'm, I'm, You're stuck. I'm man. having a hard time agreeing with where you're at because, because, how would I say this? Um, I am convinced as a Christian my job is to share my faith and to give witness to Christ everywhere I go. Right. Amen. Amen. Now, I also believe my job as a Christian is to allow people to let them make their own decisions and to live life the way they want to live it. 
but not murder and not rape, right? I believe there are things that I would talk, talk about where human rights do not, yes, let's not infringe upon other people. By what standard? But I would also say let's not legislate things that, again, to try and make the nation Christian. Well, I'm way too John the Baptist on that. If I see a man that wants to have a woman that's not his, I'm going to say it's not lawful for you to have her. And John the Baptist not lawful. It's not according lawful to according to what did John the Baptist say? It's not lawful for you to have her according to what? God's standard. He wasn't using another okay. standard. John the Baptist was, come on, one of the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT, bro. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was John, the Baptist, John the Baptist also struggled with Jesus' anti-imperial methods. Uh, yeah, but he, I mean, he got he, the no, 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 remember, no, 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 he didn't, he struggled with, remember, wait, wait, hold on. He struggled with how. It wasn't if it was going to happen. He struggled with the way it happens. And so this is where I agree with you. Part of the way that this happens is through struggle, is and through, through suffering. suffering. Amen. And so suffering actually begets the fruit that we're talking about. And so that's where I, I agree with you in one sense. It's like, yeah, bro, you're right. That suffering, we are standing on the shoulders of martyrs of Christian brothers who laid down their life to go and evangelize nations. So, yeah, there's, there's but it's, it's almost like you've got half the gospel. You've got the suffering and the death of Jesus, but right. you don't have the, the resurrection. Victory. And, you got to fight, laugh, and feast. And 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 what we're saying yeah, is, we can actually hold to the point. You're, you're right. I mean, the martyrs suffering, um, lay down the. I think there is a, a, a very very important part that we be. You know, the greatest in the kingdom is, is the slave of all, the Amen. servant of all. We lay down our rights in order to to manifest Christ. Amen. But then, what happens when we humble ourselves? What happens when we lay it all down? Well, the the pattern of Philippians two is then God sees that and raises us up, and when God raises us up. Can we sometimes, um, can we go, can we go foul with that? Can we use that resurrection life, um, poorly? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do, does God raise up kingdoms and then do the kingdoms turn against him? Yes. Do the kingdoms abuse their power? Yes. But, but the reason why we know that is because it's God's standard that yeah, shows us that yeah. they're turning away. And I go away. back to my question when you say Christian empire, uh, Christian nations have done horrible things. What's standard? I want to know. By what standard? How do you know it's horrible? A mix of humanist law. They've done these things because they've become an empire instead of remaining the church. I get that statement. Yes, but if they've been horrible, you said the word horrible. They've done horrible things. They've done horrible things to your people. And, and 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 I would say, yes, they have. You're right. And they've done horrible things. And those horrible things were disobedience to Jesus. They were disobedient to God's word. That's why they were horrible. And I would say the disobedience was creating the Christian empire in the first place. Well, I think there's certain twisted notions of empire that Jesus utterly condemns. I would also say, though, that Jesus did teach us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes. And that means and that the way he lived that out was through a humble life of absolutely. serving oh, and absolutely. of suffering, and of course, and ultimately of dying. Yeah, and, I, and, and rising, rising again from the dead. Victory, brother. All right, Mark, we got to run, brother. This actually, I, you know what? Seriously, man, I just I I want to see the gospel permeate like all of our cultures. And and when you were talking, listen to some of your talks, man. My heart, I really get it, dude. I, my heart breaks. It really does over some of the atrocities that have happened. But the only reason that I know those things are bad, once again, is because I know what God's standard is for how you treat another human being. The, the thing is, is I think we actually agree a lot 
on a lot of the practical problems. I mean, the way that people have abused power, um, the way that uh, and and have done so in the name of Jesus, um, who, the people who have abused other human beings again frequently in the name of Jesus. Um, I I don't. You've got friends here in us in that sense. I think the just the simple basic I think place where we're we're colliding is over the matter of um, how do we fix it? Yep. What do we do? How do we repent? And we believe that the way you repent is by not only confessing the sin, but then you turn and you begin to obey. And And the question, of course, is what are you going to obey? And we say you should obey God's word. You should obey the Bible. And and President and, Trump should obey the Bible. Pre- and that means everybody. everybody. Everybody should obey the Bible. And it needs to be interpreted carefully. It needs to be caref- interpreted truthfully. Um, and that doesn't mean that human beings do that perfectly. But that's what they're required by God to do by his grace, by the leading of his spirit, by the wisdom of God's people working together. And I would argue, one of the things I've learned in my work is there are many people who may not have the scriptures, but they have a more natural revelation, whether it's the indigenous people's whether it's, um, you know, and by excluding those voices from how do we live together, and I would say in a pluralistic society, how do we allow people to exist in a nation that, that doesn't mandate Christianity? Actually, here, here's the thing. I think, I think that actually the Bible rightly understood and rightly applied by a Christian civil magistrate would be more um, accepting of different religions. Yeah, absolutely. Then, then a so-called secular pluralistic state, a, a Christian nation that actually applied God's word faithfully well, would, actu- would, would actually leave a lot more people alone than our secular nanny state does right now. The um, the question I'm I'm trying to uh, get at. Well, I don't know how to say this. I'm there's something about this conversation that's leaving me unsettled. But well, I'm well, I guess I just have to learn to live with that. Well, I hope. I mean, I hope it's not a um. I hope it's not a a, a sour unsettled. I mean, I, I hope maybe it's the kind of unsettled that maybe can, I don't know, drive you to keep um, reading and studying. I, I was, I don't know if you've ever read um, anything by um, Rush Dooney. Have you ever read anything by Rush Dooney? No. Um, I was just reading this morning. I didn't know if it had anything to do with anything we talk about, and I don't think anything really did overlap. But he's got a, he's, um, he was a uh, uh, an Armenian um, immigrant, son of Ar- Armenian immigrants who came over and spent 10 years uh, as a Presbyterian pastor um, on a, a reservation uh, as a Presbyterian pastor, um, went on to do a lot of work specifically thinking about how the Bible applies to all of life and trying to think carefully through, like, how does it apply to a civil magistrate? How does it apply to a family? How does it fl- apply to the church? Um, but he has a book actually called The American Indian, um, where he recounts his experiences as a Presbyterian pastor on a reservation, which 
uh, might be an interesting introduction to this guy, Rush Dooney. And I would commend to you his other books, um, in addition to his book, The American Indian. Um, he is um, very, very sympathetic to the plight of the American Indian and very, very um, uh, sees vividly the wickedness that the American state has done and I don't has, know how you can't has either, yeah. perpetrated. And so, but, but he also, I think the, the blessing of it is that he doesn't, he doesn't then say, well, wh- who's to say, or um, we need to try this again. Let's just reshuffle the humanistic deck. He says, we need to get back to the Bible. And it's not just, and not just in Brahma, it's not just in, in cliche. Like he actually gets back to the text in a way that I don't know of another theologian or pastor who has done that in the last century, um, where he's just walking oh. through the verses and saying, this, this is how this applies. And it's, and it's, it's really um, a fresh breath of air. Institutes of Christian religion? Uh, Look, no, no. Let, me, let me give you, this is my challenge, and this is why I, oh, didn't, yeah. I didn't agree to what you were saying on the air, okay? Yeah. I have to deal regularly with people, okay, who were raped in the name of Jesus. Yeah, I hear you, man. By the church by people professing Christ. I have to deal regularly with people who experience their people, our people experience genocide by the church. I got you. And if I go on the air and say, yes, the best way to govern is by having people listen to the Bible. That is that there are going to be massive amounts of people who cannot hear that. Hey, can I ask you a question? They can't. Mark, so when, when that person comes to you and says that they were raped um, in the name of Jesus, do you tell them that was wrong and that is not ex- at all what Jesus would want or allow or condone in any way? Again, this is where I work incredibly hard to separate the difference between a heretical Christian state and a sacrificial Christian church. And that is the problem is because all of my experience and all of my study and everything I've seen is when you begin to legislate Christianity it turns bad very, very, very quickly. But Mark, I, I'm serious that though, when that person comes to you and says they were raped in the name of Jesus, do you tell them there is no way in the world that that's at all what the scripture teaches? That's what holds that person is in error as they understand the scripture. That is wrong. Do you, do you let them know that? I, for the most part, sit and listen. Mm. And I allow them to share their pain and I try to make that space as safe as possible. And most of the time, I just sit there and listen and don't say anything. Because, you know, that when I think about it, it's the very thing that they need to heal them is the very thing that I wouldn't want to keep from them. Again, you have to understand the dynamics here. When you have people who are struggling with this. I, I get it, man. Really, I do. It's a power dynamic. And if I bring that in... I've now created an unsafe space for them to be vulnerable. But, but, but what I'm but, trying to say is, though, that the gospel itself is the healing for whatever that's go- they're going through. 
and not yes, to give and them sometimes that. the gospel needs to be needs to be experienced and not spoken. I don't know how you experience it apart from speaking it. Faith comes by nope. hearing and hearing the word of God. It's there not- is so there are so many people in the world who have been hurt by by the church, by Christendom, in the name of Christ. Yes. That that the moment they can't even hear it, they just need to experience it. And experiencing it means being creating a safe space for those stories to be told without it being challenged, without them being told that was wrong, that's not what it was. Just saying, no, I'm going to make this space as safe as possible. But, and so I'm Christ in those spaces by just allowing people I, to share, and I don't even try to counter them yet. I, 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 know, now, I, I know that's what you want to do, Mark, but I'm telling you, you, you sound just like the secularists on campus that I talk to all the time. You, you're, that's not Jesus. Did Jesus, when the woman is brought to him that was caught in adultery, he doesn't just he doesn't just sit there and say, "Let's just hear your story." He delivers her, and and then he tells her, "Go and sin no more." That's right. He, he, the woman, now, the woman, at the, the person well, who was raped wasn't caught in adultery. They were taken from their homes, brought to a military style boarding school, forcibly assimilated, and then raped. Sure, the gospel doesn't apply to them. No, I'm saying they didn't bring this on themselves um, but the point is though is even even in those situations jesus is sympathetic he is compassionate he's gracious but he doesn't just leave them there he, he uses his power to heal he uses his power to tell them the truth he uses his power to set them free and mm-hmm. i i don't know i, I think i, I think john, i think john howard yoder and howard Wass and and uh and a bunch of a, a good dose of uh uh, secular pluralism is just—I don't know—really like wrecked how you see things, man. Have you? I mean, uh, again, I don't know how to respond to you. I've—I've I've lived on my reservation for fifteen for over eleven years. I've been dealing with this trauma. I've—I've I've sat with people. Yeah. But, I'm not telling you this. Is this some? I read this in a book, and it sounded. No, no, oh, no. We're we're taking it we're no, no, we, you we, we're, we're taking you totally right. seriously, man. And I'm, and I, I can tell you, I'm a, I've been a, I've been a pastor for um, about the same period of time. I've been black for 36 years. <laughs> that matters at all. <laughs> and but I'm, you know, I'm an, I've been a pastor, and I have people come into my office, and they tell me um, terrible things that have happened to them. I, I, I think I have a little bit of an appreciation of what you're talking about. And, and I'm not belittling it at all. No. All, all we're trying to say is, man, um, you need to, you need to point them back to their savior, back to the, to the one who, who made them, who keeps them, who protects them, the one who spoke this world into existence. You need to point them back to that one and assure them that what was done to them in his name is not what he does. And what he does is he forgives. He covers our shame. He heals, and yeah, sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it's 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 walking alongside people for a long time for healing. I get that. I'm a pastor. I understand. Um, but I just I I just think you you need to you need to recognize that there is no escaping um a, a standard, and and there's no you know either Jesus is the solution, he's, he's the savior, he's the Lord, or he's not. And it, and it just it feels like you're trying to straddle this you know this thing where you know. I got Jesus and I got the Bible, but 
uh, I want to, I want to use it when I want to use it. But then when it's bad, I want, I don't, I want to, I want to back away from it. Or I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. And that's because I have 2000 years of history yeah. of people disobeying God's word. You can ask, you can say they were doing the best they could. And they used it to commit genocide. But, yeah. but they also, but they also used it for great good. So I mean, you're, you're telling only one half of the story. It's, it's there a, are many, a, many people in the world who only experience that one half of the story, and there are many, many people in the world who experience the other half. So, so Mark, we'll go ahead and give you the last word on this whole conversation. Thank you so much for having it with us. Last word goes to you. Thank you. In the fourth century, Augustine asked the question, essentially, what is the role of the Christian king in the Christian empire? I don't think that's a bad question, but I think it had a bad premise, which is it accepted the heresy of Christian empire. I think the church today needs to have the conversation of what does it mean to be a a Christian king or a Christian citizen of a secular empire? What does it mean for us to be the church, but also to live in a, in a nation that allows us to vote, allows us to run for office, allows us to have a voice? And what is the role of the Christian in a secular empire? The biggest challenge I have is when we, we accept the heresy that the empire somehow is or should be Christian. And that's just because of all the 2,000 years of history and the 250, actually the 400 years, 500 years of history here in the U.S. and Turtle Island where Native peoples were completely decimated because of this notion, this heresy of Christian empire. So I like the question. I want to change the premise. And I think having a, a question about how does the cross affect our politics is a great thing to have. I, I enjoy this I contact. I hope I can come back <laughs> yeah. and have more conversation with you in the future. All right. I, I, I see what hey, you did there. Thank you, Mark. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Mark. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until next <laughs> week, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. Hey, Mark, you baptize kids. Um, what? Do you baptize kids, Mark? I'm. My kids have been baptized. They've also been. I was baptized as a child. As a baby. Okay. Well, as a baby. Okay.